afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Hannah Floor. Governor Mike Dunleavy implored Alaskans and lawmakers to capitalize on the state's natural resources in his annual State of the State address last night. During the 50-minute address to the legislature, he said resource development projects like the Red Dog Mine, where his daughters work, had transformed rural communities. But he said changing attitudes towards development threatens Alaska's economic future. Too many in our great state have gotten very good at saying no. No to opportunities for other Alaskans. Based on a false premise that one person's opportunity is somehow another person's liability. Much of Dunleavy's speech focused on education. It's a topic leaders from the House and Senate have listed among their top priorities for the session. State leadership has called for a large increase in state funding, as much as $1,000 per student. Meanwhile, the House has countered with a $300 per student increase, along with a variety of reforms. Dunleavy has threatened to veto any bill that increases per student funding without other education reforms. In yesterday's address, he pushed to expand Alaska's public charter schools, which would get a boost in the House education bill. It's not about money. It's not about a student's background that determines how well one does. It's about the environment, connecting with students, building relationships, and valuing the individual. With the right environment and the right approach to learning, our students can succeed beyond our wildest dreams. But the bill has to make it through both houses first. And in response to Dunleavy's speech, Senate President Gary Stevens said he has serious concerns about the House's education reform package. It started out as a very simple bill. Uh, so much has been added to it. Uh, things that we, uh, many of us can't quite agree to. Um, you know, I, I appreciate the governor's approach. I'm not sure that, for example, uh, whether a bonus is the right way to give a salary increase or whether it's best to work through our school districts who have that responsibility and to give that money through the BSA. During the speech, Dunleavy honored a state trooper, a charter school principal, a teacher, Wrangell Mayor Patty Gilmert, a farmer, and the manager of a Subway restaurant in Anchorage where Dunleavy said he frequently has lunch. Petersburg High School hosted Wrangell for homecoming last weekend, with the Varsity Boys splitting their wins with the Wolves. But it was a huge milestone for the Lady Vikings, who won their first games of the season. KFSK's Shelby Herbert reports. The last time Petersburg played Wrangell, both teams were neck and neck all the way through. The Lady Vikings lost both of their games by just a hair. Matt Powett coaches Petersburg's girls. He says before the game started this weekend, he told his players to just put on a good show. One of the things I wrote on the board Friday night before we went out to play, I just said, be fun to watch because it should be entertaining for the crowd. You know, like you want to go out and win, but there's no point in doing it unless you can put on a little bit of a show for the crowd. And I think we accomplished that Friday. He says he expected to see some improvement this weekend, but nothing could have prepared him for what came next. Honestly, couldn't have gone better. It was, yeah, it was pretty awesome Friday night um, to get our first win of the season, you know, for that group of girls to have not had success last year, um, went winless at the varsity level last year. So I think they felt a lot of pressure to try to just secure that first win of the year. The Lady Vikings won 31 to 28, but that first victory didn't come easy. Powick says every time they're up against Wrangell, Petersburg's rival high school, 
they can expect a combative and tight game. That's really what it was. It was um, it was back and forth all game long, um, and it came up ahead in the end. So, yeah, it was a good one. Powick says his players came to the court with renewed confidence the next day. But Wrangell's players came out the gate strong. The Wolves were up by eight points by the end of the first quarter. But the Lady Vikings caught up to them by the second. They were tied by the third quarter. But then the Lady Vikings pulled it off again, scoring just one point over their opponents before the final buzzer. Saturday's final score, 35-34. to 34. Another win for the Lady Vikings. Powick says he's beyond proud of the progress his players have made in such a short amount of time. And he says their homecoming victory was completely a group effort. He was glad to see the glory spread across the whole team. That's the thing I think I like best about this group is that I don't have any one player that's like, we just got to get it to her. Or that she's the standout. Like, it, this is a group that really plays well as a team. So far this year, we've had five different people on our team be the leading scorer in the game. And that's that's pretty cool. Why were they successful this time? He's not sure. But he thinks the fact that they came in with a full team and were playing in front of some very full, very loud stands might have helped them out. We had a full full group this weekend at home. It never hurts to play in front of your home crowd. That was what I was most excited about. Actually, I can't say that because I, I had 50 things I was most excited about. <laughs> but to see uh, to see how many people were in the stands, it was it was awesome. Altogether, he couldn't have imagined a better weekend. But he knows there's still half a season ahead. We're riding high right now, but I, I also reiterated to them that, like, be excited about this weekend, absolutely, but don't be satisfied with this. Like, this should not be the peak of our season. We're perfectly positioned to have success the rest of the year, and we need to set our sights higher than just, you know, winning a couple games at home. Not to discredit how big that was this weekend, because it was a big deal, um, but there's no reason to think we can't set our sights higher than they're at right now. But the Wolves flipped the script on Petersburg's varsity boys. The Vikings defeated them on their own turf early this month during Wrangell's homecoming weekend. And the Wolves came back with a vengeance. The Vikings held them back on Friday, winning 40-32. to 32. Rick Brock, who coaches Petersburg's boys' teams, says it was a great demonstration of their defensive prowess. Holding Wrangell to 32 points, is that's, that's good half-court defense, and uh, that really was a difference in the weekend. But they came to the court on Saturday a little worse for wear. Brock had to bench one of his star players after he hurt his ankle in Friday's game. And he says some of his other players were feeling a little under the weather that day. He says the team was having a hard time guarding Wrangell's shooters. We had a better third quarter on the offensive end. Um, we had scored 17 points, but then they started uh, making their shots, hit a couple threes, and we had a harder time guarding them, so we couldn't get any closer. And again, we had to spend a lot of energy just trying to fight that uphill battle. The Wolves won Saturday's game 50-39. to Wrangell's junior varsity teams also had a triumphant weekend in Petersburg. On Friday, the Wolves won both JV games. And on Saturday, Petersburg's JV boys won and Petersburg's JV girls lost. This weekend, Petersburg High School will host three JV teams from across the state. The Susitna Valley Rams, the Thunder Mountain Falcons, and the Kluwak Chieftains. Petersburg's varsity teams will jump back into their conference games the following week. They'll travel down to Metlakatla to face off against the Chiefs, 
who are currently undefeated in the 2A conference. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. U.S. Senator Dan Sullivan says Alaska is back as a recognized location of importance for the U.S. military and national security. Sullivan noted that a decade ago, the Pentagon wanted to close Alaska bases, but that is no longer the case. But I would say the Pentagon, which literally, in my view, was the last entity in Washington, D.C. to recognize the strategic importance of the Arctic, has finally got with the program. Now, a lot of it, we've had to kind of shove them into this. But, um, you know, we have a very significant military buildup going on in our state. Speaking on Alaska Public Media's Talk of Alaska show yesterday, Sullivan noted that Alaska has more F-35 and F-22 fighter jets than any other state. It also has the Ted Stevens Center for Arctic Security Studies. Its director, retired Major General Randy Key, says the two-year-old center focuses on soft power. He says it brings U.S. military and security experts together with those from allied countries to explore regional threats and solutions. So they're more competent, therefore they're more confident, and therefore we can more ably demonstrate the resolve it takes to to tell our competitors, keeping them from becoming our adversaries, today is not the day to mess with the United States of America or our allies and partners that are trying to secure our national and respective allied interests across the Arctic region. Today's not that day. Another sign of renewed attention on the North came two weeks ago, when the Homeland Security Department awarded $46 million to the University of Alaska Anchorage to lead an Arctic Center for Excellence. The center is intended to bring together experts in cybersecurity, emergency management, and related fields. State Senator Forrest Dunbar introduced a bill this legislative session that would create a psychedelic medicine task force. Most psychedelics are illegal at the federal level, but research shows that they have therapeutic benefits. The task force would look at the role psychedelics could play in addressing Alaska's mental health crisis. Rachel Cassandra has more. The bill would set up a year-long task force that would look at barriers to psychedelic access, insurance and licensing requirements, and pathways to regulating the medicines in Alaska. Dunbar, a Democrat from Anchorage, introduced the bill in the Senate. He anticipates that the federal government will legalize some psychedelic substances for medical use soon, starting with psilocybin. That's the main active ingredient in several types of so-called magic mushrooms. We want Alaska to have a regulatory framework to potentially allow medical providers to use these substances, which have been shown in the early data of the tests to potentially have really positive impacts on people dealing with trauma and with addiction. Experts say medications with psilocybin and another psychedelic drug called MDMA are likely to be approved by the Food and Drug Administration within the next couple of years. The drugs can dramatically alter mood, perception, and cognition, but generally aren't considered addictive. Psilocybin was banned in the U.S. in 1968 and MDMA in 1985. Oregon and Colorado have legalized psilocybin for medical use, and several cities in the U.S. have decriminalized psilocybin or made it a low priority for law enforcement. Studies show psilocybin is effective for treating addiction and depression in some people, And it also shows promise in helping people cope with a terminal diagnosis to process emotions around death. Dunbar says it's important to figure out regulations before psychedelic medicines become legal. 
That will help make sure people who can benefit from the therapies have access to them. The hope is, because these are medical treatments, that we would find a way to bill insurance like anything else. And so I think that's a big part of it, is how do we make sure we can bill Medicaid and bill private insurance? And I know the indigenous community in particular needs to think about and will help guide the task force so that we can make sure we're getting funds into the traditional healers' hands as well. The year-long task force in Alaska would include people representing healthcare needs of Alaska Natives, veterans, and survivors of domestic violence and sexual assault. Dunbar says it's especially important the task force represents Alaska Native communities. He says some states have not included indigenous communities and traditional healers when crafting regulations and legislation for psychedelic medicine. Melissa Bradley is an epidemiologist based in Anchorage who researches psychedelic medicines. She became interested in studying psychedelics when she saw the strength of the research data. But she says psychedelics are not a simple therapy. Research shows psychedelic therapy can be difficult in the moment, but for some people, it provides long-lasting relief from symptoms of mental illness. So Bradley says figuring out how to offer medicines outside of the controlled environment of formal research studies will require a lot of creative problem-solving. So really figure out the mystery of psychedelics is figuring out the mysteries of consciousness. And we're kind of poking at that, you know, on the research side of things, But it's also moving forward in terms of policy. And so it will be kind of a wild west in terms of policy and regulation. Broadly supports starting a task force so Alaska can start to address the challenge of introducing psychedelic medicine gracefully and equitably. Dunbar says psychedelic medicine could ultimately help a lot of Alaskans. He says they've shown promise treating some of the toughest mental health issues in the state, like trauma, addiction and suicide. It doesn't work for everyone, but there are certainly people who could access these substances and potentially have life-changing medical results. There's no hearing planned yet for the psychedelic task force bill, but Dunbar says he hopes there will be one in early February. House Representative Jennifer Armstrong, a Democrat from Anchorage, introduced the corresponding House bill. In Anchorage, I'm Rachel Cassandra. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.